Now, I come from a really warm and loving family. I, there's no doubt about that. However, uh, like any family, you stick five of us kids in a station wagon with my mom. My dad was off doing something else, working, I suppose. Don't really remember what the what the reason for the trip was, but it was a fair. We were a fair uh, distance from home, and I lived in the part of the country. I think Kansas or uh, some parts of northern Illinois and northern Ohio. It's a lot of flat, barren land. Maybe two houses on younger siblings thinking I'm never things I'm processing in my mind and heart. Unwanted, feeling isolated, feeling rejected. As I remember this moment, it made an impression because as she drove off, and I can't remember if she then stopped a couple hundred yards away and then I caught up with her in a very different spirit, or if she drove around the, the four miles it would take to come back and get me. I can't recall. But in either event, that feeling of rejection and abandonment, I want to suggest that, that, that for some of us here in this audience, and for all of us in one way or another, are some of the largest operators <coughs> in our life. And uh, in fact, we might describe that fear of rejection or abandonment as being one of the most troubling of all emotions as it becomes life-defining. Now, we are by definition social people. In fact, I think it'd be a little bit difficult, if not impossible, to define who you are apart from who you are in relation to other people. All of us, every one of us, defines ourselves to some degree by those that we identify with. In other words, apart from others, we really can't even describe fully or understand fully our own identity. And this is why if you're in prison, solitary confinement is so miserable. The lowest of the low. No one wants it. Because of the sense of isolation. Orland in the book said it this way, every human friend has a limit. If we offend enough, if a relationship gets damaged enough, if we betray enough, we are cast out. Think of my mom. Get out! <laughs> and we carry over this fear of rejection into our relationship with God. And that's what I want us to think about for just a few minutes. And I think we do this because deep down, we believe that we will get what we deserve from the Almighty. 
Isn't that right? We think we're going to get what we deserve, just like we ultimately, it seems, get what we deserve in every human relationship. We gauge ourselves again and again on our performance. Our sense of worthiness comes from how well we are doing. And while this may work in some areas of your life, in school, in the workplace, in your neighborhood, it does not work as it relates to God. But we keep trying. We keep using this faulty notion. We are so conditioned to see our relationship with God through this faulty lens. Now, in the book, Ortland describes John Bunyan, most famous uh, for the Pilgrim's Progress, wrote another book called Come and Welcome to Jesus Christ. That was in 1678. And he focused his entire book on one verse. And I want to share that verse to you, with you this morning. John 6, that Jody already read to us, is the text. And Jesus is searched out on the other side of the lake after he got away from the crowds for a while. And they ask, what, what must we do? What must we do? They're building a life on performance like so many of us. What must we do to do the work requires? And here's what's the answer that Jesus gave in this text. The work of God is this, to believe in the one he sent. And then Jesus says, I'm the bread of life. And then in that section, there is a verse that I can't say prior to reading this book from Ortland that I'd ever really noticed in my Bible before. John 6, verse 37. Well, I want you to hear it. I want you to hear a couple different translations. Here's what Jesus says. All those the Father gives me will come to me. And whoever comes to me, I will never drive away. Let me say it in a different translation. Same verse. New Living Translation. However, those the Father has given me will come to me, and I will never reject them. Let me say it one more time in one more translation, this time going back to the one that John Bunyan used in 1678. Can you handle the King James Version for one verse? All that the Father giveth me shall come to me. And him that cometh to me, 
I will in no wise cast out. In no wise is a funny phrase. It's a 17th century expression trying to capture the Greek language which has a double negative. It says not not in the Greek. In other words, the Greek piles on the second negative to give the, sen the sentence more conviction and more certainty. It's not like a double negative makes a positive. It's like the double ne negative means it's an amplified negative. It's not a fact. It's not a fact. It is not a possibility, the text is telling us. Forcefully and literally, no, no, he will not cast off. He will not reject. He will not drive out. He will not say, get out of the car. Now, why does Jesus say this to the crowd? I think he knew they needed to hear it. He knew we needed to hear it because we are predisposed to believe what Jesus says. To disbelieve what he says, I'm sorry. Not because it's so bad, but because, or because we believe it's wrong, per se, not wrong biblically, we would say, because I know it's in the Bible, but it's wrong for me. We have a difficult time accepting this truth for our life. Too good to be true. Now, someone came up to me recently, and they said, well, I've been reading the book, and the first couple of chapters were kind of difficult. It was some heavy sled. I wasn't used to reading this kind of book. And I'm now through about chapter 5. And here's what I'm getting so far. Jesus wants us. He really wants us to come to him. Now, how could something so basic strike us for the first time, and yet it does, for one reason. It's too good to be true. We have been conditioned to see God some other way. In our flawed, sinful we could not believe this truth. Now, this season, Mike Schilt has uh, been thrown out of a few games, manager of the Cardinals. I mean, you know, he's so low-key, but sometimes he just gets up, gets after those umpires in such a way that it just goes on a little too long. And finally, Matt, get up here for just a second and, 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 and be an umpire for just one, one minute, and just throw somebody out of the game, would you? Just get up here, be an umpire, throw shit out. You're out of here! <laughs> you didn't even need the mic. I love it. I love it. Did you know that on April 29th, May 26th, July 22nd, July 25th, and September 26th, 
five times this year already, Shelf's been thrown out. And I know that sitting out in this audience, most of us on some level feel like a phony. Like a hypocrite that uh, feel like you're a fake, that you've messed up, and uh, that like an umpire rejecting a player or manager from the game with full authority, right or wrong, fair or unfair, we see ourselves, or at least we feel the risk, the possibility of being thrown out of our eternal walk with God. And if that's in your mind, and that's in your heart today, then I want to ask you how you square it with this passage where he promises for those who come to him he will not not double negative cast out and you say well what about some other passages in the scripture have you ever read the rest of the bible Jeff what about Matthew 7, 13 that says, Enter through the narrow gate, for wide is the gate, and broad is the road that leads to destruction, and many will enter through it. Well, what about Matthew 7, 21? Not everyone who says to me, Lord, Lord, will enter the kingdom of heaven. Well, what about Matthew chapter 20, 12, and 31 and 32? Therefore I say to you, any sin and blasphemy shall be forgiven men, but blasphemy against the Spirit shall not be forgiven. Well, I want to suggest that there certainly is a willful rejection of God. Think of the prodigal son with me for just a moment. What if the, what if the son hadn't come home? Now, nowhere in that beautiful, wonderful story is there any indication that the father gave up or that the father threw out the son. I would say the text argues just the opposite, that he was the waiting father, the longing father, the yearning father, the anticipating father. Yet the son was lost. It was lost to the father. Had he not returned? That's why our passage in John 6 says, For those who come to me, I will not cast out. If there's a condition there, it's simply coming to him. I'm not suggesting that the whole doctrine of eternal security is covered by this verse. However, I do believe that many of us have often misunderstood God's grace. Because we're still allowing ourselves to be evaluated based on our performance. 
to fail. That he extends is to believe, to come to him. Because based on your performance, you're a failure. All of us are. So there's a little section in the book, and I'll close with this this morning. What is his response to you? I'd like you to speak. Will you be Jesus with me for just a minute? I know, I know you've always loved the role of being Jesus. Okay, here you go. But I am an old sinner, say you. I will in no wise cast out. But I am a hard-hearted sinner, say you. I will in no wise cast out. But I am a backsliding sinner, say you. I will in no wise cast out. But I have served Satan all my days, say you. I will in no wise cast out. But I have sinned against light, say you. I will in no wise cast out. But I have no good thing to bring with me, say you. I will in no wise cast out. I want you to ask God to help you believe it. Because fallen men and women, all of us, us, in devising reasons that we believe merit Jesus' rejection of us. And Jesus teaches us. So Orland finishes his quote this way. Every human being has, every human friend has a limit. If we offend enough, if our relationship gets damaged enough, if we betray enough, we are cast out. With Christ, our sins and weaknesses, here's the invitation, George are the very resume items that qualify us to approach him. Nothing but coming to him is required. First, at conversion. So for those of you who have not accepted him, believed, and been baptized, there's an invitation. You need to come to him. You need to, you need to trust in him. You need to say enough of this way of old way of life and come to him in baptism. And then Arlen finishes. First at conversion and a thousand times thereafter. Until we are with him. Upon death. Jesus makes a promise, a promise that his words and his actions, specifically through his death on a cross, he's the one who has the performance of perfection. Not us. We simply receive what he has to offer. And he tells us with that 
death on the cross and his resurrection, I've given you a promise. And I will keep it. The case has been made and the case is closed. <laughs>